Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Healing Home. I'm your host, Michelle, and today I am joined by my fiance, Mario Garza of Symbolic Studies. How you doing, babe? Pretty good. Here I am. Here we are. Yes, I'm very excited for this one, as always, to have you here in The Healing Home and that we get to be in the same room. I know. It's nice, right? And <laughs> chat it up casually. For sure. I know. what's going on. I look forward to these because I feel like... It, uh, I present a different angle um, when I'm around you because I'm so comfortable and we talk about this stuff all the time that I feel like these chats are informative for other people and then I have a good time and it's uh, just good vibes and all that stuff. Yeah, agreed. And I'm really excited about what we're going to explore today, which is polar and solar symbolism. But we are uh, basically piggybacking off your presentation that you just gave on Friday. Yes, correct. So I'm really pumped on this because I know already you've had other insights that have come through and we're going to get into it and we'll pull in whatever comes through when we're talking about it. It'll be fun. Yeah, definitely. So I figured, you know, every time I do a presentation, I always have yeah new insights and people send me things and I reconsider things and then... I kind of kick myself for not saying certain things and all of that. Not not too hard, right? No, you never get too too regretful about it. Right, right. Yeah. But I'm like, this is a good opportunity though to kind of like talk about any of the loose ends, you know, maybe that I didn't get around to. So yeah, here we are. And what's coming to me right now, just in the moment, is like maybe we make it a tradition that after you do a presentation, we can have a follow up on the healing home. I think it makes sense. And kind of like so that just, you know, to flesh out all, all the things you were just talking about and anything that you wanted to get off your chest with it. So definitely. I yeah, yeah. We can totally, you know, we'll plan riff. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll, we'll make it happen. Right. But before we get started, just want to say to everybody, hello and welcome. And for all things healing home, you can go to michelleshealinghome.com. And uh, you can find my blog there, the uh, herbal cat Herbal and Natural Cat Care ebook, which is still available. Uh, if you want to learn more about me, read my blog, schedule consultation. You can do all of that there on michelleshealinghome.com. And thank you to all the patrons out there. We really, really appreciate all your support. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe just because uh, we haven't done this setup in a little while, if we do want to get confirmation from the chat that we sound good oh, sure. and all of that, that would be cool. Yeah. Uh, so let me check real fast before we get into it. So, all righty, we got a few people here. What's up, everybody? Thanks for hanging out. Nice yeah, to see you. Sure. Some familiar faces, but if we can get word that uh, we're sounding good and all of that, that'd be fantastic. All right, sounds stellar, loud, loud and, clear. and clear, bueno, nice. awesome. Sweet, sweet, sweet. All right, cool. Great confirmation. <laughs> Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Sometimes I get paranoid about that. Well, we've had it when we were doing last Thursday. That was our lesson was... We weren't really uh, checking in with the sound. And then one time we went back to listen to an episode and it was like, damn, our mics are hot. Yeah, <laughs> so, right. Totally. Um, now it's time to just check in um, when we go live. So, um, yes. All right. So as always, I want to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself to uh, maybe new listeners uh, who aren't familiar with your work. So if you can just tell them briefly. Uh, where they can find you and what's going on and anything else you want to start off with. Yeah, totally. As always, symbolicstudies.com is where people can find my stuff. I offer tarot readings. I do uh, study sessions, sometimes called consultations with people. Those have been really, really fun. I really appreciate um, all of my, I guess, uh, students who have you know hit me up to have those sessions. I get a lot out of them personally, too, because it 
puts you in a different spot when you have to um, teach somebody something. Yeah. You know, when you're tasked to like teach somebody something that they don't, you know, then it's clear that they don't know as much uh, about the topic as you do uh, versus when it's just always kind of swimming around in your mind and all of that. It's been really, really cool to kind of like get down to the nuts and bolts and uh, the fundamentals of certain cards and myths and things like that. So people have hit me up to do all sorts of different things, um, study the tarot with them, uh, different astrological signs, different myths. People have wanted me to, you know, review their artwork and things like that. So definitely leaning into all of that because I feel like I'm, you know, kind of qualified to do some of those things for people. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but basically my project, right, has been going on for... I kind of lose track now, but it's been a while. Yeah, probably Probably five. Yeah, I was going to say like four or five years. Yeah. And it's kind of debatable on when I started putting out content, kind of. Um, But um, I usually follow each astrological sign during the sign itself and produce content. These days, I am more so republishing, reposting content that I made over the years And I feel like, kind of segueing into today's conversation, I feel like my heart right now, to be honest, is more with the presentations. Yeah. It's more about the actual information itself for me right now. So um, the last one I did, as you mentioned, was on Friday about esoteric solar symbolism. I called it the rising sun. And the solar topic is something that I've really been interested in for a number of years. And I'm not surprised that it's kind of coming around at this point for me to really get it out there, what I really think about some of this stuff, you know, because I feel like a lot of people's interpretation of solar symbolism is one dimensional. And so what I feel like I'm doing is I'm actually giving a more sort of holistic kind of complete interpretation of solar symbolism. And it's funny that I say that it's one dimensional because uh, part of what I'm bringing to the equation is this polar influence, right? Which Mm -hmm. people who follow my work will know probably a bit about what that's about. And the pole is (laughs) three-dimensional. And so it literally is like the uh, the Z-axis, right? So if you're looking at you know, the the X and Y axis on a piece of paper, the pole itself would be the Z axis. It's what, um, you know, pops out into 3D space. And so uh, the pole and polar symbolism, really, to me, it seems like if we're looking at the sun and we're kind of looking at symbolism in general, that there is a hierarchy to symbolism. So there are traditions that go further back there are traditions that are considered to be more primordial and it has to do with uh a polar awareness or with polar wisdom i've kind of been calling it too lately yeah which i like but yeah having to do with the north having to do uh with this idea of a center the supreme center um and it's it's kind of interesting to wrap your head around because it affects everything. It's like one of these things where once you have an understanding of it, it influences how you interpret other symbols. And so now that I've I feel like I've kind of initiated myself with some of this material because I've been reading so much about it over the years that there's kind of no going back. So now when I read a myth or I look at a symbol or I try and decode something, the polar sort of influence or the polar perspective to me, it's just, it kind of just like jumps out at me now. And I'm like, how did I not see this sooner? You know? So one thing people have said is that, um, 
And there's an author that I'll be referring to multiple times because he has been such a game changer for me in a way in terms of just quality content about this quality material about this is Rene Ganon. And he is under the impression that, you know, polar symbolism um, is never really lost, but it's just hidden, you know, and you kind of have to have uh, eyes to see it, basically. Mm. But once it's pointed out, it, you'll, you'll see it all over the place. It's like the ultimate occulted subject. It, it seems I mean, to me that's like it's kind of what yeah. it feels like as you've been bringing more of this to the table as I'm getting my own understanding of it. I'm like, damn, this is probably one of the most occulted things in this realm or something like that. Um, at least that's that's how I feel about it. I mean, related to that, just saying that when I, you know, I would say probably three, four years ago. I really was looking into um, H.P. Lovecraft mm-hmm. as an example. There, I was looking into H.P. Lovecraft. I was reading um, the Necronomicon books. I was reading authors who were um, decoding Lovecraft. And I was surprised that... And the reason why I really chose to go down that rabbit hole was because I was reading um, stuff that was implying that Lovecraft was encoding polar symbolism. He was encoding the Northern or primordial tradition within his works. And then there were other authors like Kenneth Grant, as an example that I got into more so like last year, read a couple of his books. And the reason why I decided to go down his rabbit hole too is because I knew that he had an understanding of some of this stuff. And so as I dug through the occult world and as I dug through some of this black magical Lovecraftian material, what came out of that was the polar tradition. It was Northern symbolism. And so to me, that is one of my biggest takeaways with sort of my uh, magical studies is realizing that, oh, this material is actually discussed in the occult world. And I think that when you're talking about some of the most hidden types of magic um, or insights or understandings about this reality, too, it's polar in nature. And so there are authors out there that have discussed this. You have to seek it out. And it goes by different names. And the way I've kind of put it to I've talked to um, a couple of people about this is I'm just... I'm kind of looking at the different flavors or the different sort of uh, aspects or angles of Northern symbolism, polar symbolism, you know, and the polar tradition mm-hmm. and everything else. So there is absolutely a, a polar current, you know, um, that kind of goes through the uh, black magical side of things. And so um, absolutely. So to me, I think a lot of there's a lot to be said, I guess, about. Yeah, the world of occultism and then this polar sort of idea and this northern sort of thread. Yeah. You know, that's a whole sort of thing. And maybe I'll do a a presentation about all of that at some point. But yeah, so to me, you're totally right. It's like there is an occult aspect to all of this. I would say there's even, um, you know, kind of a left hand path aspect to all of this. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I would say, too, that the polar current um, is uh very feminine in nature you know there's a masculine aspect for sure but there's a feminine aspect as well that's pretty apparent and pretty obvious when you dive into it yeah and so it's it's interesting to me so i think that this earlier sort of tradition you know um it was more earth centered 
it aligns very nicely with geocentrism um and it aligns with the feminine it aligns with the north so the northern portion of earth the northern sky um and so those are the things that have kind of been swept under the rug you know those are kind of the things that really aren't as heavily discussed or promoted or you know whatever you want to say and so um even in my presentation i was talking about how the uh, the polar symbolism uh definitely relates to the night you know and yeah. solar symbolism relates to the day right and so this is more the way i tend to look at it is a lot of people's understanding of solar symbolism is very very to me it's surface level and it's very exoteric it's not the esoteric side of things right so yeah well and i'm really glad you brought up left hand path because mm -hmm. you know that in and of itself too is usually swept into the category of negative or bad or like black magic or something like that where yeah. it's not necessarily that 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 in my opinion is not left-hand path just because something is left-hand path doesn't mean it's inherently <clears throat> bad or negative right. or uh you know ugly or something like that if anything it's there that that like the polar tradition is has its own occult history to it as well and i think has been inverted um because we're in more of a heliocentric universe system right now yeah. that it's like down with the dark up with the light and yeah. make sure the light is always on top and the dark is always on bottom and you know that kind of mentality and that like the left-hand path is something that should be feared right but that that in my opinion is also and i'm sure you would agree with this is there's folly in that because then it keeps you from understanding stuff like what we're about to talk about or the polar tradition or the d divine feminine or the primordial tradition right. with a more holistic balanced perspective yeah you know so if you're going into something and you're fearing it you know you're right. going to have a different response to it so right that's what i think of when the left-hand path comes up because i know it's something we talk about at length a lot um and i i appreciate it and i i find that there's more freedom in the left-hand path than there is sometimes because on the right-hand path you're more restricted with what you can say how you can say it or you can't say that because that's just a little too negative or whatever but it might right. just be realistic you know right so i'll i'll put it this way um i'll say that i think that there is a bit of nuance here in that i think the right-hand path versus the left-hand path. Um, I'll say that I think that there is a positive and a negative right-hand path, mm -hmm. and there's a positive and a negative left-hand path yes. as well. Agreed. And so there's actually this sort of like dual nature. There's a, there's a polarity even within those sides, right? Right. And so I would say that um, just the same thing with light and dark, if we're just going to talk about light, which is very applicable here. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. that's a major part of this conversation actually is light. And, you know, I, we're not going to do it justice in some of the things that I'm going to bring up because it's a very, very deep topic. There's so much to say about light and what it means symbolically and everything else. But there are a few things I, I definitely want to mention that I think are very interesting that I didn't really get around to uh, on Friday. But I think that uh, same thing with light. So um, there is a positive aspect to light and there is a um, there's a negative aspect to light. You know, there's a positive aspect to the darkness. There's a negative aspect to the darkness. And so to me, with the left hand path, I think you can be personally, I think you can be a balanced, balanced, 
righteous person that is walking the left-hand path. Yeah. You know, and I tend to see the left-hand path as being more of uh, a sovereign, individualistic sort of thing, um, having to do with your autonomy, having to do with your power, your divinity. Um, I'll say probably the biggest thing for me personally is uh, personal responsibility. Right. That's what I tend to think of with the left-hand path. Right. Uh, I see the right-hand path as being more collective, more communitarian. I see it as being more, um, you know, exoteric. So uh, not looking deeper. You know, the other thing that relates to all of this would be uh, the root system as well. As I see that the, the at least this is just my opinion, that the polar tradition, geocentrism, uh, sort of this left-hand path sort of uh, perspective actually has more to do with the roots of uh, of self, of spirit, of this place. It has to do with the uh, sort of origins of this place. So I very much see the roots of a tree as being kind of aligned with this because it's more of the hidden side of things. Right. So that's what we're dealing with here. So the sun, as an example, is so visible, right? Um it is the luminary that is the most radiant, and everybody has to acknowledge it. There, there's no way you can't acknowledge the sun. You have to um, appreciate that fact, and I do appreciate that fact, and I think that uh, it's a beautiful thing. And so that's the other thing maybe that I kind of just perhaps want to clear the air on is that I'm not anti-solar. Right. You know, I'm not anti-solar. I think that'd be very foolish of me to be anti-solar. Good luck with that one <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> sort of thing. Yeah. Um, what I'm kind of, I think my angle is kind of that a lot of people have already uh, waxed poetic about the power of the sun and uh, the glory of the sun and everything else. And when they're talking about this, I think sometimes what I mentioned in my presentation is that one, they're not always talking about the actual physical sun, right? That the sun is actually a metaphor. The sun is a metaphor for something else. And in this way, it's, um, it's a metaphor because it's a, what Ganon might refer to it as, as like a secondary principle. It's like a secondary center. It's not the original center, but it's a substitute for the original center. And so many things are like this, by the way. So, people's holy land right um the two i always use mecca and jerusalem as an example um but these are actually secondary centers so um even atlantis you know is like a secondary center that's one thing that i'm, I'm really interested in right now um there are a lot of temples and places of worship but these aren't the original center right but they're basically um they're templates modeled off of an original center they're yeah they're mimicking they're mimicking right yeah. they're kind of like simulations in a way right and uh to me the north really is that original model you know uh which basically i mean so many different groups have considered uh their paradise or their eden whether they the people the followers of these traditions are conscious about it or not What's being encoded is that these people's holy land, their original sacred site, where um, you would go for a pilgrimage, right? Mm -hmm. um, which is the location that transcends realms, because we're talking about the world axis here. We're talking about the bridge between realms, that a lot of people's sacred center 
characters are just mirroring that original center, essentially. And so in a way, everybody's sacred center, holy land, temple um, is uh, a mimic of this original thing. Okay. You know, uh, yeah. whether they're conscious of it or not, that that is kind of what they're encoding with everything. And there's so many examples of this. And uh, one of one great book that I read that gets into this a lot is At the Center of the World by John Michel. And he talks about a lot of these centers. He doesn't call them secondary sites or, or secondary principles or whatever, but uh, Ganon does. And I, I agree with him because that's totally what's going on. You know, so, um, but the sun is so magnificent, right? That you have to acknowledge it. You have to uh, work with its rhythms and you have to work with its patterns and everything else. And because it's so in your face, and because uh, of its uh, light-giving properties and everything, I just think it's really interesting that a lot of people um, never consider the idea or the fact that the sun has a story. That the ah, sun, right. you know, symbolically in a lot of different myths, has a mother, right? So I think of like the Demiurge. So the Demiurge is, you know, a um, lion-headed serpent um, and he was the first masculine entity, the first masculine sort of creation. Uh, Sophia gave birth to the Demiurge. And so she now had a masculine counterpart, basically. And he was so arrogant that he thought that he was the end-all, be-all supreme deity of the universe, essentially, right? He wasn't aware that he came from something he wasn't aware that there was a god above god and that god was mother so i think that this is speaking to this polar solar shift that we're kind of talking about mm. you know of the uh, polar being related to, to this original essence which i think is in large part very very feminine um that was not like really mentioned at all during my presentation but that's definitely a thread that you can kind of pull at um and that uh, the demiurge is kind of uh, just so so egotistical, you know, that it doesn't really, uh, it's not aware, and it doesn't want to uh, understand that fact that it actually came from something, right? right? So the sun, a lot of solar symbolism, essentially has a lot to do with this northern polar uh, concept and idea, and uh, a lot of people, obviously, they're they're not really hip to that. And so my, I feel like my sort of project on Friday was trying just to at least, you know, scratch the surface with some of this stuff and how, you know, there are people, very knowledgeable people, very knowledgeable symbologists and, and sages and mystics and stuff that had this kind of understanding and awareness that literally uh, there is a relationship between solar symbolism and uh, this primordial polar sort of aspect of things. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I appreciate about what you've always brought to the table with this research, but you also talked about in your presentation is that there was, there was a tradition before heliocentrism. There was something that was looked at as a sacred center before the sun kind of was given yeah. that role, you mm -hmm. know, and um, that is one of the things that I really like about this because that, and that's where then you get to that esoteric level. It's the next level. It's the next level deeper right. past what you're going to hear about when you hear about solar symbolism or heliocentrism or whatever you want to call it. Um, and so I kind of want you to speak on that a little bit, even though I know you talked about it on mm -hmm. Friday, 
Friday, but just to kind of like bring it back yeah. to to that and the and that being an important part of what you're trying to get people to understand as well. It really, uh, it has to do with the center, you know, and it has to do with um, what people consider to be the center of, in my opinion, the universe. But the thing is, the interesting thing is that because we live in a toroidal system, in my opinion, mm -hmm. the center of the universe and the center of Earth are, are the same center. It's it's no different. So this is the one of the flips that has kind of happened, one of the inversions that's happened over time, by my estimation, right? And so heliocentrism, geocentrism, cent centrism, uh, having to do with the center. Right. So when you're in school and you're taught that we live in a solar system and that uh, this is a heliocentric system, what you're saying is that obviously the sun is at the center of everything, right? Mm -hmm. Now, on one level, um, that's actually true if you're looking at it metaphorically, because once again, there's um, a lot of material out there that suggests that was previously, you know, unknown to me until um, you know the last handful of months or whatever. But that the sun isn't always a reference to the sun that rises in the east. It's not the sun that you see with your eyes, but that the sun has been used as a metaphor, uh, as a mirror for the original center, mm. basically. And so we're talking about shifting centers, basically. So in a way, personally, I think that this might have to do with what some people might refer to as a pull shift. You know, uh, when we first started getting into kind of truth or conspiratorial type stuff, pull shift narrative uh, information was kind of still out there a little bit. I think it's had its heyday. Yeah. It probably goes through cycles. You know, it'll probably come back and then people are going to be freaking out about a pull shift or something. <laughs> at some I'm sure point. someone is somewhere. So, yeah, someone is somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Don't so underestimate the power <laughs> of the fear. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely true, actually. Um, so I think that this might be what's being referred to when people refer to a pole shift, right? Mm -hmm. Um, that the center, the pole, cause the pole is basically an interface for the center. So if you just imagine a pole, this pole is symbolic of the world mountain, the central mountain. It's symbolic of the world tree. It's symbolic of, uh, the middle point and across it's symbolic of the dot that's within the circle dot, the circumpunct. Right. Right. So even if you look at the circumpunct, which is the symbol for the sun in today's world, you know, if you're looking at it from a 2d perspective, but imagine it from a 3d perspective, that pole, that dot is going to be a pole. Basically it's going to be poles and holes, which is what I used to talk right. about all the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, the pole is a substitute symbol for the center because it is one of the simplest sort of symbols um, that indicates a bridge between the above and the below. That's really what it symbolizes. And this bridge is comparable to a stairway to heaven, right? So it connects the above and the below. It connects heaven and earth together, right? And so every tower, this is the same symbolism. Every obelisk, same symbolism. You know, the pole is just, um, you know, the simplest, I think, in a way, the simplest sort of symbol that you can kind of um, draw even or, or imagine or whatever that kind of gets the job done. And so the pole is symbolic of this center as well. And so 
heliocentrism. That means that everything is revolving around the sun. Geocentrism, right, is everything's revolving around Earth. And so to me, the polar tradition, the primordial tradition, the northern tradition, it's a geocentric perspective. And they believe that the center of Earth, which is the north, is uh, the supreme center that connects all of the realms together, right? So I'm starting to see it a little differently. I'm not saying that I'm not saying that you need to worship the North Star. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you need to worship the North. I'm not saying that you should go to the North. I'm not saying that the uh, North Star is the center of everything. I think people maybe think I, I, I think that. But what I think is that the North Pole and the Pole Star, they are along the line of the bridge that connects the realms together. Uh, yes. That's what the ancients believed. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what a, a lot of ancient cosmologies are based on this. And actually, I think a lot of people's cosmologies were based on this in a more recent history than what probably a lot of people imagine. There's still a lot of cities, as an example, their names translate to something along the lines of like a center or the middle, something along these lines. You know, uh, we have this concept of like a city center, yeah. right? And so there might be a town square at the city center. There might be a, um, a spire or a tower at the city center. What used to be a really common thing, this is my understanding, is that, and this is based on, you know, Ganon's work and John Michel's work and other people's work as, as well. But um, my understanding is that it was very common for the ruler of a town or a village or a city or an empire, uh, a region, to divide their space into four quarters. And so they would literally divide it with a north-south road, uh, an east-west road, and the middle would be the middle of their empire or would be the middle of town. And I've said this before, but that middle would be a sacred center. you know. So this would be where people would come and congregate. This is where people would, um, you know, um, basically th this was where festivals maybe would happen at. This is where laws would be created at. And this fits in line with this idea of a lord or a king and where lord and king symbolism actually comes from, which I have to give uh, props you know, to Ganon once again because I just finished this book right here. And we'll see if actually, there we go, the king of the world. And sometimes it's actually called the lord of the world. And he gets into king and lord symbolism. And really what it comes down to is that the lord occupies that center space. The lord is in the middle of those those four quarters that you divided your region into. You know, uh, I'm pretty sure to be drawn and quartered, it's, it's a reference to this sort ah, of idea. Interesting. You know, because you would be uh, paraded around, you know, and humiliated um, around it, the town center around the town center so you literally uh drawn and quartered i'm pretty sure is is related to this idea is that you're going to be on full display to all four quarters of the town oh shit yeah and so um the king or lord he says basically and i'm like this is pretty powerful stuff it's very interesting that the king occupies is that center space the lord occupies that center space and that this center space is always indicative once again of 
the actual original center, which would be a more of a northern sort of understanding of things. And so Lord King symbolism goes back to a polar king concept. It goes back to a northern king concept, right? Mm -hmm. And so they occupy the middle space. And so they consider themselves to be transcendental, right? So in a way, you're kind of like a bridge or mediator between the above and the below, right? But we all are. We're all mediators between the above and the below, right? This is to me what a lot of the magician card is really all about is that's why he's holding his wand, which is a world axis symbol. He's holding his wand upward, and then he has one hand that's pointed downward. He's connecting the above and the below. He's a bridge between the above and the below, right? So um, this concept is sometimes referred to, my understanding, as the great triad, that the great triad is earth, heaven, and then man, but like you, <laughs> you right. specifically you, you know? And so... Um, so we all occupy a center. So from here, from my vantage point, I have a north, south, east, and west. But symbolically, I am in the middle point of like a crossroads, right? Or of a cross. So I am in the middle of those four points. So I also, once again, I am uh, at the sacred center of everything, you know? So we all occupy that sort of central position or that central spot, Um this is really interesting because Christ symbolism as well, right? The King of Kings, you know, uh, the Lord. It's debatable when you're referring to Lord what you're referring to, but um, Christ certainly has a lot of this symbolism completely attached to him. And one of the things I mentioned in my presentation was that I I think Christ was Christ was more polar than solar, mm. you know, and so he got solarized over time. So so many things got solarized over time that um you know it'll make your head spin a little bit right and so that was one of the things with my research was just realizing like holy shit i'm like why is everything attributed to the sun this doesn't quite make sense but some authors that i really gravitated towards they were giving more of a holistic complete picture of things that even sun symbolism isn't necessarily just solar there's this other thing kind of going on so Jesus Christ has a relationship to the cross. Once again, we're talking about the cross and how it divides up a town. Yep. Um, my understanding, too, is that this sort of um, way to divide a region, it's mirroring the heavens, you know? So you look at the universe card or the world card, and there's cross symbolism baked into it. So even uh, literally the Hebrew letter that attaches to the world card is tau, which means cross and then what do you see in the corners of the card you're going to see the four fixed signs you're going to see the fixed cross so the woman in the world card is occupying that central space in the middle of this cross and so basically the idea is that the heavens were divided that way and so i believe a lot of people thought that if the heavens are divided in a large cross which is a really simple way to divide things, you know, a space, right, mm -hmm. a, a circle, um, then that's good enough for, for me, you know, as above, so below. Right. So if, if we divide the heavens as a cross and there's different crosses in the sky, you know, then uh, that's how we're going to divide our town and our village, right? 
The other interesting thing about this that makes perfect sense to me is when you imagine a cross, right? X marks the spot. The cross is basically an X, right? In my opinion, that central point is where the world tree would be. It's where the central mountain would be, Mount Maru or whatever you want to say. And uh, to me, this is really fascinating because the emperor card is the fourth card of the major arcana. And at least in the Rider Waite version and in other versions, it's fascinating that he looks like he's a central mountain. So here we're, we're dealing with the number four, and then we're also dealing with mountain symbolism. And we're dealing with this king lord sort of concept reigning from the middle point. You know, that's the other aspect of all of this is that your kingship or your uh, your kingdom is ruled from one point, basically. So your perspective, your authority, your power, whatever it is, your law, I guess you could put it that way too. There's a lot to be said about law symbolism and how it relates to the world axis as well. But uh, it would make sense that there would be a center to the region and then your authority, your laws emanate out from there, right? Right. So it kind of, in a way, it just reminds me of like the hub of a wheel, which is part of all of this stuff too. Um, and even the wheel itself, uh, the spokes of a wheel have been compared to the rays of a sun. Yeah, I love this point. Yeah, so that that's something that you'll definitely come across that the spokes of a wheel relate to the rays of the sun and the sun-like qualities are supposedly there. Um, and what Ganon says, which I think is really interesting too, is that the ray itself though, or the individual spoke of a wheel is symbolic of the world axis. So even the rays of the sun are considered to be uh, world axis symbols. So the ray of a sun is a world axis symbol, you know, and it just makes sense because you're talking about that line. You're talking about that vertical axis. You're talking about the thing that connects one thing to the other. Right. With the wheel, it would be you're connecting the hub of the wheel, right? The center of the wheel to obviously uh, the exterior, you know, of the wheel itself. Right. So, um, to me, when I think about that, I think of when I think of the wheel, you know, I look at it and I'm like, to me, what better describes the wheel, its function and its design, how it's practically used, right? To me, polar symbolism, which is axial symbolism, describes the wheel better than solar symbolism does. Yeah. You know, the the, the solar uh, aspect of a wheel is a secondary sort of thing. That That's more of a modern sort of thing, in my opinion. But the pole itself and all of the polar wisdom, it, it makes more sense to look at a wheel and, and have that click and have that make sense before associating it with the sun. Yeah, interesting. Because, well, when I think of a wheel, too, I almost think of like, we're, we are wheels. And so when you're looking even at the, uh, you know, the zodiac casting of a chart, of an astrological chart that mm -hmm. is known as a zodiacal wheel or exactly. the wheel of the zodiac right. um and then if we are wheels ourselves i think about you know saying something to the effect of healing the like heal the wheel like yeah, it's all about healing this i like that this nice. vessel you know um and so i think that the sun too is very um necessary for healing as well so we oh, know yeah. all of the benefits that come from this we know that life cannot even really almost go on without the sun because so many things are dependent on it but i think too that the underlying esoteric um 
like thing behind that is that none of this though exists without the pole. And perhaps the sun doesn't even exist without the pole. It, if it, you want to go like a step further of like, you know, the kind of like the birth of creation, the creation of this whole thing, you know, perhaps is just what you've been saying is, is the center. A, a one metaphor that I think is very uh, appropriate here is the idea that the sun has been viewed multiple times over. There, there's a lot of, um, I guess, traditions that kind of say this, uh, but the sun being a fruit on the world tree. Ah. Not the world tree itself, though. Okay. So it's a fruit on the world tree. So that means that that fruit came from something. The what, tree. It came from the tree. Exactly. Right. So Ooh. you have to acknowledge the tree before you acknowledge the fruit. Obviously, fruit's great, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it's a fruit on the world tree. And even uh, the the zodiac signs have been compared to the same thing, that they are fruits on a world tree. What I'm acknowledging is the tree. Right. That's exactly. What, that, that, that's what I'm trying to get to. That That is my interest right now is that tree, is the thing that predates the fruit itself, right? And even, uh, I almost included it in the presentation. There's a really famous quote, and it's um, all at a temple in Egypt, and it's, uh, it's the temple is called Sais, and I believe it's an Isis temple, basically. And basically, Isis says something along the lines of, I'm probably going to butcher it, but I, Isis, am all am, uh, that has ever been and all that will be. Um, no one has unveiled me. I cannot be unveiled. Uh, but the fruit I have brought forth is the sun. Interesting. And so basically saying that exactly. They're talking about the origins of the sun. Wow. You know, the fruit I have brought forth is the sun. And so that's talking about the origins of the sun as well. That the sun is supremely important, but it isn't the end of the line. And so what we're really talking about here, too, and I have it written down in my notes to, to discuss, is this idea of a spiritual hierarchy. Mm. So we're talking about a spiritual hierarchy. And one of the things that it took me a long time to realize is that there are newer gods, there's old gods, there's ancient gods, and there's primordial gods. That not all gods are created equal. And I think that the symbolism is really baked into these myths, too. So as an example, uh, I brought up Lovecraft earlier, you know, he really likes to talk about a lot of these really old ancient primordial gods so much so, you know, that what he's created is that these gods are very grotesque and mysterious beyond belief. Uh, you know, they're, uh, they're horrors beyond imagination. So that's wow. what Lovecraft literature has been referred to as cosmic horror, basically. And so you're thinking about horrors beyond imagination that they're so primordial that the human mind can't even like wrap its head around what they even look like and what they're all about or anything like that. Um, and so he likes to discuss in his works these old, old, old gods, right? And so that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about the difference between newer gods and older gods. I'm of the opinion now that uh, astrology and the signs that most people uh, refer to uh, with the Zodiac, you know, that these are actually as old as they are compared to us, you know, and mm -hmm. our lifespan and everything else. 
we're dealing with not the most primordial of gods. We're actually dealing with a newer tier of gods. And it's actually said the same thing about the planets. That the planets themselves are a um, perhaps a mid-level sort of god. That they're not the oldest gods and they're not the newest gods, but they're somewhere in between. And so, um, to me, the oldest deities have some association with the North. They have some association with this polar sort of uh, concept and idea. That's what I found. And one of the things I brought up in my presentation was that there's reason to believe that the signs of the Zodiac originate from the North as well. Mm -hmm. Because everything, if we're talking about the real center of everything, that means that everything emanates from that center and then also returns to that center, just like a Taurus field, right? So they're all going to have aspects of that center the same way a huge, gigantic, monstrous world tree, monstrous tree, these ancient trees that some people talk about came from a single seed, right? It's the same idea that everything came from one, um, you know, one center and uh so therefore everything is uh everything about that tree whether you're talking about the fruits or nuts or leaves or whatever um all of that information is contained within that center basically so uh this other guy that i mentioned on friday his name is john michael or sorry uh john jenkins i can't remember his middle name uh, but uh, John Jenkins Jr. or something along these lines. John Major Jenkins. Thank there you. you. Major. Ooh. Major, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> so John Major Jenkins, uh, he blew my mind in his book, and he's not even a geocentrist or anything, but he basically says that the Chinese zodiac comes from the north, that it was a circumpolar zodiac. It was right around the North Star. There was eight constellations, one per trigram. There are 64 hexagrams in the I Ching. He said that this system was being developed right around when the I Ching was being developed as well. He says 5,000 years ago. Okay. You know, you know me with dates and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I don't really know. But according to his research. A long time ago. A long time ago. He says that there were eight circumpolar northern constellations that basically made up their zodiac. That was their astrological wheel. As things got solarized over time, at a certain point, they shifted those eight constellations to the um, path of the sun, the ecliptic, and then they added four more constellations. I brought this up on Crow, too. Mm -hmm. And so that's how they got the 12 sign zodiac. And so he says that the Chinese zodiac is northern in origin. And Ganon basically says the same thing about the western zodiac, that there is a there's basically um it's implied in so many ways that the zodiac has a northern correspondence so what i'm coming at now once again if this is the true center if there is a true center a supreme center um that has either been hidden or lost or whatever you know shifted you know towards the sun mm -hmm. there's a conversation to be had too about the shift actually being at the galactic center as well um, which is, you know, in between Scorpio, Sag, and uh, Ophiuchus. That's a conversation to have at some point, maybe. But um, as this shift has occurred, um, people lost this original center. And so they don't know where everything is coming from and returning to, right? And so people have no awareness that anything comes from there. But it seems to me like the mythology of the planets, the mythology of uh, the Zodiac, potentially all constellations, potentially all myths, all deities, 
their importance or true significance on a occult level on a really really deep seated fundamental level has to do with the relationship with the north and has to do with the relationship with the center but that is you know obviously it's it's been lost to the sands of time or whatever you want to say right but that's my hunch now i'm like so where does this end yeah i mean i think it ends when you die but then it retur- it starts again and i think that the answer almost is the answer might come at death in the in the way that I think this is going, we're going back to the sacred center Mm -hmm. upon death. And so it may be that time where we are able to see what's really going on or something. Because I think that the heliocentric stuff is, has been put in place in a way to uh, keep us from finding our own true north, that, that's our own pole, yeah. our own center. Yeah. And um, we talk about this quite a bit, but like when, you know, you can sit around and I've done this before too, of like, how are these people not understanding this? Why do they do this? Why do they do that? How could that happen? It's like, because people don't know their sacred center. It's a society that has been driven into this heliocentric like system of belief that that kind of like strips you of your own power in an own, in your own way, and it's like a subliminal thing. It's they don't come out and tell you that that's what's happening. Right. But I mean, when you really start to study this stuff and then fold in all the things you're talking about, it's like, well, man, you know, no wonder why there's a bunch of people who are making bad choices and don't understand why or they're doing things that are harming themselves and others it's like it's because they don't really know who they are maybe if you don't mind because i think it's a beautiful metaphor for all of this um and you just talked to her today uh ingrid yeah that you took a class with ingrid and Mm -hmm. she has a um a sort of uh a ritual i guess um that involves a staff Oh, yeah. You know, which is is a pole. Yes. Right. And that I think that she understands it on a different level. And we've talked to her and you're going to be talking to her next month. Yep. Right. Yeah. But uh, I think that that's kind of a a great thing to kind of relay with people not being um, centered and not being grounded and not having a pole, basically. Yeah. Right. Yeah, totally. And so with Ingrid, Ingrid Kincaid uh, is her name and... uh, I've done room classes with her and one of her requirements for one of the courses I took was to bring a staff along with you to the class. And at first I thought, huh, that's kind of random, but I have a walking stick. I've got my staff. I'll bring it along. And so uh, the first class, she said that, okay, so when we start our classes, every time we start the class, I want all of you individually to stand up with your staff, hold it firmly with two hands smack it down into the ground and say your name and also ask the question of say basically state your name and who you are and and what your intention is here in this class and i thought it was a beautiful practice and every time we went home after each class the homework that she gave us always included when you sat down with the runes for that for that session you were studying was to begin your session by doing that but also asking the question like going outside asking the question like which way is the wind blowing these sorts of things there's other questions involved it's not like a big long questionnaire or anything but what what the the uh you know the moral of it 
is that it's it's remembering it's tapping into who you are like remembering that you are here you're solid you can be solid by just simply having a practice like that of having something a sacred center that pole there and you actually basically mirroring the pole and then proclaiming like i am michelle lundquist i am here because this is my intention you know and just puts you into a really positive place in your mind and it focuses you almost instantly and you can be very clear with what your intention is right then and there and it really it accelerated my runic studies in a big way and uh you know her whole philosophy on the north i really appreciate because of because of these things that she's learned along the way and then incorporates into her teachings it's really powerful yeah to me it's you are it's uh when you hold a staff you're holding like your symbolic spine kind of yeah you're, you're you're holding your center you are embodying an axial position you're you're you are the axis so you are the hub of the wheel right and then i know it's part of her thing uh as well and others uh but the the runes being laid out in like a wheel right like yes. a circle yeah right so the wheel functions because of that center it sounds so basic that's the thing that trips me out a little bit about this is it sounds so basic to acknowledge the center of a wheel but people are completely preoccupied with just the exterior of the wheel, just like you mentioned with uh, astrology charts and stuff, natal right. charts or whatever. Right. There's so much information about angles and degrees and signs and, and asteroids and all of these other technical sorts of things that people are lost, in my opinion. And I, I think there's fantastic astrologers out there, and I think that there's people doing good work. But a lot of these people aren't even one looking at the stars themselves. Right. I totally get it. Um, but I think you should p pay attention like with your own eyes, you mm -hmm. know, and your own heart and everything else and actually visibly look at them for yourself instead of always relying on apps and, uh, you know, everything else. But I see that people are in the heliocentric solarized world. We're so preoccupied with the edges of the wheel itself right that we don't even pay attention to the center <laughs> right we don't even acknowledge the center right and so having that staff and doing that that is you acknowledging your center and that is you proclaiming that you are the hub of a wheel yep and we all are hubs of a wheel and uh i'll say too the other interesting thing because i brought up the the spine thing is that our chakras are wheels right and so that's what uh chakra uh, goes back to wheel and so the idea is that this energy, right, uh, when you're talking about like Kundalini energy, it shoots up your spine. And so it's like going up the world axis, basically, through through these wheels. And the wheel, the middle part of the wheel, the hub of the wheel, is once again the transcendental point. The center of anything is the transcendental point, basically. Right. So whether you're looking at a square or a cross or a wheel or a octagon or whatever, it's that center point that is of primary importance because the whole object, the whole shape itself cannot exist without that center that center is it so even just going back to like really basic stuff but it's like you start with a dot that dot symbolically is the center that that dot represents everything that we're i'm kind of talking about so i see a dot now which is the most ancient simplest glyph you can possibly have you cannot get simpler than a dot right it embodies all these things. Right. It's the sacred center. It's the seed. It's the egg. It's the uh, it's the it's the pole. 
you know, it's the uh, it's Mount Maru. It's, you know, at the north. It's all of these things, in my opinion. Right. And then you have a second dot. Now you can create a line. That line looks like a pole, no matter what orientation it is, too. It looks like a pole. That one straight vertical line. I'm thinking of the number one as well. That's a world axis symbol. The number one is a world axis symbol. That's why it looks the way it looks. And then you add a third dot. Now you have the triangle. So now you have a shape, right? But that shape, um, it's, uh, it's design really hinges on that center point, the square, it all hinges on that center point. So this is just like basic kind of mathematical geometrical stuff that you, you can't escape. You can't get around that. And then you add more dots, and then what do what does a, a triangle look like with a fourth dot, right? If you create a shape out of it, it would be the square, and then you add another dot, pentagon, another dot, hexagon, you know, Onward. on down the line. Right. But with each additional dot and each additional side and each additional line, it looks closer and closer to a wheel. The more sides you give a shape, the more dots you give a shape, it looks more and more like a circle. Right. And that circle also hinges on that center point right so again the circumpunct the the circle dot you know the symbol for the sun you know so anyway i when she when you told me that she was doing that i thought that that was a really cool sort of thing for her to do and it makes tons of sense it's very very powerful it really is and it really um it also then helps you to acknowledge the sacred center sacred center of someone else yes. and that that was what was so co- true, yeah. cool about the class too was it was a way for us to introduce ourselves you know each time and each time you came to the class you were a little different because it was the next week or it was whatever you know mm-hmm. and uh anyway i i feel like um it was just such a, a beautiful thing that I keep, you know, I keep that memory and that that practice kind of close to my heart, because it really does allows you to acknowledge your own sacred center, but then that of someone else, because that's also very important to remember is that everybody has a sacred center, whether we acknowledge it or not, we all have this and we all have the ability to tap into it. But it's, you know, and these are the reasons why we're talking about this, because how important it is for people to want to kind of understand this, or at least, you know, consider this as a possibility, right? You know, consider that what you may have been told about how um, the sun is everything, the sun is all that maybe there's something else going on there that, you know, is trying to take you away from more of a deeper understanding of yourself and like what really is going on here. Right, right. You know, again, spiritual hierarchy, Mm -hmm. you know, that that's what I see. So the sun is underneath the hierarchy of the pole in my opinion that that that's how it breaks down so this is why in freemasonry which i've talked about so many times now it's so obvious when you know what's going on but there's a lot of freemasonic tracing boards you're going to see two pillars two or three pillars you see two pillars one has a sun on it the other one has a moon on it now either there's a third pillar in the middle or in the Kabbalistic tree life, there is a visible third pillar, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, one pillar is solar, the other pillar is lunar. So then what about the middle pillar? What's going on with the middle pillar? The middle pillar goes above and below the other two side pillars, right? So what's the middle pillar all about? It, it's a polar dynamic. Right. That's what you're talking about. You're talking about lunar, solar, polar, polar right there in the middle. You know. So uh, same thing with, I broke this down in the um, axis of Libra presentation my last libra stuff same thing when you when you look at the scales 
you know, I have a tarot card. It's it's brilliant. There's other illustrations like this, but I'm thinking of one card in particular where the scales are weighing the sun and the moon. Cool. Awesome. I love that, right? Right. Uh, the projective sun, most people consider it that way. I know there's other ways of looking at it, but generally the projective masculine sun, the feminine receptive moon, awesome. They're being weighed against each other. Well, wait a second. What about the actual like function of the scale itself? What, what about the vertical axis that actually holds the pans to be weighed? That's the middle pillar. Right. You know, that's the middle way that that's the uh, the world axis, essentially. So the hierarchy in literally the scale itself, it functions because of that middle pillar because of that world axis right there. And funny enough, it's really amazing. But um, the the scales themselves, you know, uh, Ursa major and minor have been called uh, jade scales and that the world axis was considered to be that middle beam. Of, of, a, of a scale system, of a celestial scale system. Right. You know, so literally there, there's a relationship with the world axis and with Libra and Libra is the middle sign. So you'll find actually, this is really interesting, a lot of letters that correspond with them, uh, or excuse me, a lot of symbols or, or constellations or uh, letters, like I just said, that correspond with like the middle have an axial component to it that it actually corresponds with the world axis. So Libra being the middle sign, being the transition from summer to fall actually has a ton of world axis stuff baked into it. And I'm not, this isn't my conclusion either. These are, this is me researching stuff, right? You know, so some of the stuff, obviously I'm, I'm putting together pieces to the puzzle on my own accord. I come up with my own correspondences that I think make sense. But that in particular, uh, that that is like something that's been stated before, you know, multiple times, which I think is very interesting. So uh, Libra, I think in its simplest light, literally might as well just be a pole, you know. Right. And so now, though, we, we, we have uh, the scales, though. So even the Justice card, the Justice card relates to Libra. Mm-hmm. And so you have Lady Justice or a Justice uh, figure in the middle being the middle way. They're usually right in between two pillars. One pillar lunar, one pillar solar. So what's to be said about that middle pillar? It's it's polar, you know, in nature, you know. And then obviously justice usually has a sword. They're holding the sword up. That sword itself, that is one of the uh, classic substitute symbols for the scales. Makes sense? The sword divides and cuts. So it'll take the one and split it into two. That's what you're talking about with the scales as well. You're talking about one energy split into two. So that's what I would say, too, symbolically as well, is I would say that, you know, whether you're talking about the sun and the moon or you're talking about masculine and feminine, these aspects, this sort of uh, this polarity on the pole, it comes from the one. It it comes from the one thing. So this is kind of what I've been getting into lately with uh, numerology a bit Mm -hmm. and kind of explaining this idea to some people is that there's only one one. There is not two ones. There can only be one one. That's the function and that's the principle. That is the supreme principle. There's no other one out there. So when you refer to the one, you are referring to the one, right? And the one has often been referred to as like God, right? And so uh, the supreme deity, uh, if you want to call it that, or the supreme center. So the number two is just two aspects of the one. It's not two ones brought together. You can't do that. Metaphysically, spiritually, you can't do that. It is the ones 
um the one being divisible by two and now you're talking about the two aspects of the one positive negative masculine feminine light dark whatever you want to say right so the number two is literally the two aspects of the one the two halves of the one the polarity of the one the above and the below of the one the number three is the same thing the number three is the three aspects of the one it's the triune nature of the one and then it just goes on down the line from there so when you're dealing with the number four you're dealing with the fourness of the one you're dealing with the one divided into four parts you're not dealing with four separate ones that are being brought together right you know so this is more of a uh again this is more of like the metaphysical principle in my opinion behind numbers and numerology because it all descends from that one basically yeah i love that I mean, I heard you were, uh, you talked about this on Spiders on Saturday. Yeah, right. And uh, when I heard you say that, I was just like, oh my God, that that's awesome. Like, I, I love that. I love thinking about it that way um, because it, it just makes so much sense to me. And that's why there, to me, it makes sense too when I think about like these sort of like um, systems that involve these different numbers. So I'm just going to go back to astrology real quick. There's 12 signs, right? So you're dealing with the twelveness of the one that all of these different signs in a way are can be brought together to express the one. That's what you're really looking at. Right. Which, does, that, does that make sense? Yeah. And that's what it's doing. And that's what exactly what it's doing. Yeah. So any system is like that. So this I brought up I Ching earlier, 64 hexagrams. These 64 hexagrams, there's 64 aspects of the one you know, of the changeless center, of the uh, immutable center. That's the other thing that we're talking about here is the fact that this center, this sacred center, is the still point in the middle, basically. And we live in a world that basically is, it's so far from that, you know, that there is no sort of stillness anywhere. <laughs> right. You have to seek it out. You the, do. It's it's still, um, it's still uh, something that can be sought after and obtained, but you have to go out of your way for it because everything seeks your attention. Everything seeks your energy. You know, uh, kind of say too that this is like the the golden age of distraction, right? That everything's vying for your attention, and so um, so that still point really is completely uh, under under emphasized and under kind of appreciated and, and understood and everything. But it goes back to all of these things that I'm kind of referring to and talking about. Right. Right. So anyway, so I think that to me, when I think about the numbers like that, it makes so much sense. And again, the one, it's, it's a world axis symbol. It's no different than the ray of a sun or uh, it's no different than a pole or anything like that. And even with the runes too, uh, they say that the, the original rune was Isa. Mm -hmm. ice right. which looks like the number one it's just a straight vertical line and all of the other runes are composed of isa basically yes and as i was um as i was studying the runes the other night and reading i had this um kind of epiphany about that and i started looking at each rune and then the phonetics of each rune and seeing how they're connected to each other in certain ways and then literally just taking one of the lines off and another line off and then combining them makes another rune and then mm -hmm. it makes another rune and so it goes along with this that it's this 
it's dependent upon that one line, that one pole in order for these to be created. And so anyway, it was cool. It was a very cool epiphany that I had. This is really going back to, again, the fundamental aspect of everything. This is the deal. This is like, this is, you, you cannot divide the dot any further. Mm-hmm. You cannot divide the one any further. You can have decimals, you know, um, and there's something to be said about that, but is that more of a human modern sort of thing or is that like an actual thing? You know, same thing with the zero, you know, there's debate out there if zero should even be a number, you know, um, even our whole numbering system, you know, I'm, I'm kind of open to it being a sort of uh, the way we perceive it to be kind of a construct. Same thing with time, time itself, too. I mean, I was that's in my notes to talk about briefly. But when you look at a uh, clock with 12 numbers on it. 12 is a solar number. That's why there's 12 signs of the Zodiac. I mentioned 12 disciples. The number 12 is uh, absolutely related to solar symbolism, you know? Um, And so you have a clock with the number 12 on it, one through 12. That's already, that's a very solar sort of idea. And then you have the clock going, uh, the hands going uh, clockwise. That's a solar rotation, basically. This is really interesting because this gets into the left-hand path, right-hand path thing. So imagine you're uh, walking that wheel. Imagine you're on that wheel of a clock. Imagine there's a big clock on the floor and you're going around the wheel, the same going uh, clockwise. That means that the center is on your right-hand side. Right. So this is more of a right-hand exoteric sort of thing versus if you're going counterclockwise, that means that the center is on your left-hand side, which means that this is more of a left-hand polar sort of thing. Interesting. Whoa. That's really good. So literally just the clock itself, it's a solar symbol. The way it works is a solar symbol. So for me personally, I brought this up the other night. I'm like, wouldn't it be interesting to develop a clock that goes backwards? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, you know, and so <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> you can start. I'll check in. I'll supervise and see how that's coming along. <laughs> I like. I like the idea of this. Yes. And then it would be kind of like, well, what number should be the number? You know, and so how many should there be any numbers on it? You know, I don't know. But the the other thing I mentioned on Friday was that, in in my interpretation from what I gather, that the clockwise rotation where the center is on your right is more expansive and the counterclockwise rotation where the center is on your left is more contractive Mm. so the polar left hand uh sided rotation brings you closer to the center ah and the solar clockwise rotation brings you further away from the center right and that's my one of my big big beefs which you kind of alluded to already i think uh, with the solar paradigm is that it takes you away from self. Yeah. You know, so therefore, like you said too, it takes you away from acknowledging the center in other people. Yeah. You know, and so that's my big issue, I think, with it is that the heliocentric paradigm always encourages externalized everything. Right. I usually use the word validation, external validation. You know, um, you are more uh it's more of a community oriented sort of thing it's more about other people what do other people have going on it's less so about your inner journey in my opinion it's less so about you know what's happening within and people have heard this many times over and i'll just say it again but know thyself and you'll know the universe i see that the heliocentric solarized age 
um, brings you away from self, therefore not allowing you to tap into your true divinity. And I see that my understanding, and it makes so much sense symbolically, that in the geocentric polar paradigm, that was encouraged. That's what it was all about. It was all about the center. Right. You know, and Ganon has said this too, that during the dark ages, it's the center that is lost or it's the center that is hidden. That's why it's considered a dark age. Damn. Yeah. You know, and so that's where the real true original light is. You know, it's more of a northern polar light. Um, it's not necessarily a solar light, but I understand why the, uh, the sun itself has been used as a secondary principle, as a substitute for the original light. I think that that's basically the main thing, mm. is that uh, it would make sense that the most glorious, radiant luminary in the sky would be given all of these attributes when the original center is gone. And that's what happens. So now people literally will treat, in today's world, will treat celebrities like gods, like literally gods, you know? And so they look at this person like, oh my God, they're so famous. They're so beautiful. They've got so much money. They're so talented, this and that. This is a complete distortion from how things used to be. You know, it's yeah. like, why are you giving this person so much credit? They don't, they don't care about you. They're, uh, you don't know what they're really like in real life. You're just seeing the surface level sort of PR kind of version of who they are. You're, you're seeing them uh, with makeup artists and with, uh, you know, uh, people who dress them and, and people who see it that everything that they do is fabulous and everything else. Right. You know, so that's that's definitely the thing is that um, because the center is gone, what humanity does is they put all of that symbolism that's really innate within us, in my opinion, to seek out a center, to seek out something transcendental, to seek out something that's connecting, you know, everything basically. And they will put that on other things. So for some person, it's their collection of whatever they collect. Right. You know, for someone else, it's something else. For someone else, it could be their job. Their job is everything to them, basically, right? Right. And so, um, so that's what happens. So when the original center and this, uh, the polar wisdom, when it's no longer there and it's no longer present, people will put all of these original primordial polar northern centered attributes on everything else. Well, I mean, this also brings up a point for me that we've been talking about recently because I I've been bringing it up. But, um, you know, the uh, the Internet and social media, it's the when you're talking about the celebrity stuff, when you're talking about it that way, that is what's happening mm -hmm. for people uh, on the on the daily, you know, roster for them that takes them out of their own life. It takes them out of the present moment. Um, you know, obviously I'm on social media. I use a phone. I'm, we're on the screen right now. So I'm not, I'm not trying to like, you know, say all the bad things about it or whatever, but it is something to think about. And when you look at it from this holistic standpoint of it being perhaps a way for us to just be taken away further from our center point, you know, that it's just something worth chewing on really right you know because that is it is then all external and i've really been starting to dive into just like the dopamine responses that we get from the likes and the hearting of something and seeing if someone responded to you and then if they don't you feel bad and then or maybe they didn't like it or you're doing it for this or that or the other thing 
and that you know the dopamine hits aren't coming from within then anymore they're coming from an external source so i i imagine back in the day in more traditional primordial times you know you weren't you were you were more focused on your immediate surroundings that being oh, yeah. your family your farm the forest the whatever it was the the joy that you got from being with the people you care about you know which happens still today yeah. and that can happen online too you know i'm not saying that it can't but i think that there's just something going on there with that dynamic and the more and more we all get wound up in it the further and further we get from that true center I mean, it, it, it's interesting, too, because um, it's going to continue to get more extreme. Yes. And um, what I see happening with this, to me, what, I, what I'm gathering is that because we live in the times that we live in, very transhuman times, you know, things like that, um, people for a long time now, I'm not even going to speculate since when or what technology brought it forward or or what event or cataclysm or whatever, whatever mm -hmm. the shift was, you know, um, but things need to get more extreme to get people's attention. Yes. You know, and so um, music is more extreme. The visuals are more extreme. Uh, I think a really good example, honestly, is like pornography too. Mm -hmm. pornography being very extreme and lifestyles being very extreme drugs and vices in general being like very extreme, you know, everything's becoming like next level um, because it is that dynamic of like uh, these dopamine hits. What once served you early on is no longer going to serve you. So you now you need twice as much kick. You need twice as much oomph with whatever it is you're consuming or whatever it is you're doing, right? Yeah. So now people want to have uh, the screen right there in front of their eyes in the craziest resolution possible, and you know they're going to use that as an interface. Some people are right now, you know, using these uh, like the goggles as an example as an interface to the real world. So you're talking to your daughter, but you're wearing goggles. You're going to work, but you're wearing goggles. You know, you're always connected. And so now you need all of these different uh, little screens, you know, within your uh, personal space and everything else. Because uh, what people did 20 years ago with technology is not doing it anymore for people. Right. So that's the thing definitely with the... Um, to me, I, I see the world as being very solarized, right? I've already mentioned that. Mm -hmm. But like our education system, our entertainment... The, the healthcare system. I was going to say medical system. Yeah, the medical system, yeah. uh, our food. Uh, this reminds me a lot of uh, the Baudrillard stuff of uh, simulacra and simulation. Mm. Everything is like a simulation of an original thing. Right. There's no such thing as an original sort of thing anymore. You know, so you think you're a Christian, you go to church. What what people that even the th that's a good example too. You go to a church and now suddenly there's a fucking like uh jumbotron and there's people like you know being like a harness from the the ceiling and they're <laughs> like being like you know it's all like uh, theatrical and there's like all of these people and it's a big sort of like experience now and you got a huge band and a huge sound system and it's this audio visual sort of like spectacle now in some places right right it's the same exact thing where it's just like well yeah because church 50 years ago doesn't do it for people anymore <laughs> right that's, that's not going to get people in the door right you know so everything 
everything is kind of like that now. Media is like that. Uh, content's like that. Um, even uh, TikTok, you know, the TikTokification of everything. Right. I'm on TikTok. So once again, it's kind of the same thing that you're saying. It's like we're just pointing things out. Yeah, we're, not trying to be we're not, hypocritical. We're not or... demonizing it to the extreme, saying that you can never use this stuff. Right. But it's like the average, like in movies too, the average length of a scene now how fast these cuts are coming. Oh, that's true. It's just getting faster and faster and faster and faster and faster and faster and faster, which goes against the still point within, which goes against this centeredness, which goes against this immutable uh, point, you know? And so that to me is like kind of clear, where it's just like the solarization of everything along with uh, the tech side of things, everything is just like hyperspeed, you know? Oh, go ahead if you weren't finished. Oh. Maybe the last thing I'll say is that um, the news mm-hmm. and, and, and information, you know, the amount of information the average person consumes today in 2024 versus uh, whatever, 1984, when we were born, you know, um, is absolutely like next level crazy bonkers. Oh, yeah. The, the amount of everything, the amount of uh, stimulation and all of that kind of stuff, the access to information and everything. Once again, uh, yeah, we, we do our thing on here. We're streaming right now. And we benefit from it, too. You know, it's yeah, like totally. there's benefit to it. It's it, there's there's good, positive things that come from it. There's there it, when it's used as a tool, when it's used with like, you know, uh, thoughtfulness. I it think, can consume too. everything, though. right? It really can. And I think, uh, you know, one of the things that's coming to my mind as we're talking about this um, is a false light. And so you're talking about how, well, the original light is probably polar. Well, then it was moved to the solar. So, but then we're also being given all this artificial light that we're guiding, we're guided to, we're yeah. drawn to like moths to a flame, which is a screen or it can be whatever, you know, whatever your thing is. Um, I think that's something too, to, to think about because then it's almost just like, it's, it's something, uh, yeah, the false, the fi- false light aspect of it. Is something to think and about. And it's literally, as well. it's 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 blue light. Yeah, you know, so it is an artificial light, and um, the way it's set up too, the way it is now, is you literally. This is so to me. This is a very solarized thing. You have to pump energy, or you have to get energy from a central source. Right. So, in my understanding, I I think that polar geocentric. Um, wisdom i guess or that that perspective unlocks so much stuff about our ancient past and that people you know uh there's a lot of people online and they look at old technology old buildings and this and that and whatever so much of it looks polar to me and so much of it is you know people have said it's like they're drawing energy from the ether and they're like tapping into you know uh that side of things and they're generating energy where that building is you know and there's potentially amazing incredible things that people have done with that energy right so in the uh kind of polar northern geocentric way of doing things it was about generating energy and being um primarily concerned with what's happening literally where you're at and not where everyone else is at and not what other people are doing you know around the world or whatever and so on the other side of earth and so um I see that with how we actually get our water and how we actually get our electricity. Right. It's illegal to uh, collect rainwater in certain places. <laughs> right. Right. You have to set yourself up uh, in certain places and your house has to be connected to the grid. Right. You know, um, and so everything, again, it's like it's bringing things outside and bringing it in. Right. You know, you even think about um, 
just how uh, things go these days. And again, we're using, you know, uh, technology and all of that, but just everything being kind of like shipped in from elsewhere, mm-hmm. right? So from all over the world, basically. This wasn't as much of a concern, I don't think, a long time ago. No. You know, it wasn't possible. Maybe it was possible. I don't know. But I, I feel like people had more of a local, true local sort of understanding of things so that your sacred center that connected you to the cosmos, not only is it within, but as you tap into the within, you realize that it's actually in your, it's it's like in your backyard, right? basically, that you don't need to go anywhere else um, to kind of uh, co- commune or connect with God or, you know, whatever you want to say. So I, I see that all over the place where people have to bring things in from the outside, but no one or very few people are choosing to generate something from the inside and, and, and bring it forward sort of thing. That's more of a lost sort of thing these days. I right. Would say. Depending on how you look at it, right? Yeah, it is. Because it, there's plenty of people doing lots of internal work, lots of insp- inspired work and bringing it out into the world, you know. Mm-hmm. There, and you could flip it and say, well, there's enough people doing that to fill something like social media with all this information. So there's mm-hmm. enough inspired thought and inspired projects to be thrown up on a screen so someone can go out and grab that and go, oh, wow, look at that or whatever. Yeah. So you know it's balanced it's balanced and there's there's beauty in that i just think that you know there's there's ways to go about it in there's just healthier ways to go about it than what's going on another word that comes to mind is always um you know the fact that the this tradition this earlier tradition was more holistic Mm -hmm. and i see that the solarized paradigm that we live in is a not holistic oh no <laughs> you know and, and in a way symbolically what's kind of been said is that it's almost like the rays of the sun where uh the rays of the sun the further out they are the further away they are from each other and it's all externalized and so um i think there's kind of a metaphor there that you can kind of chew on or, or play with that kind of uh symbolically represents this the fact that everything is like split apart you know um it's also very, I kind of see that a lot of our like modern science is very much solarized too, in a way that everything is compartmentalized. Everything is kind of separate from each other. Nothing's holistic. You know, the classic thing people say that, you know, you go to a, uh, a school, uh, a university, none of the departments, like they're not as integrated as you think they probably should be. Yeah. You know, so these true. people over here are learning this, these people here are learning that these people over there are learning that. So you have like, hyper specialists you're you're developing people who know a lot about one tiny little thing um and that's it and then so they don't know just like a lot of doctors and stuff you know ancient more like medicine women kind of uh shamanistic type people uh medicine people back in the day um they had more of a holistic sort of approach so they would address your spirit they would address your emotions or what we might call psychology today right something along those lines and it's like you're not going to get that these days it's going to be oh here's a pill you know here's an external solution for an internal problem right yeah especially if you're going allopathy you know right definitely not going to be getting right totally yeah yeah so uh you said something about it kind of being beautiful too and i just want to say i'm like i feel privileged to be living right now and kind of witnessing all of this. Yeah, it's crazy. As you know? it is, you mm-hmm. know, and and I feel um, I feel privileged to be able to unlearn what I'm unlearning 
and i'm super grateful that i've come across this information because as you can see it, it's no longer for me just a hobby or whatever right it, it, there's a spiritual there's a real spiritual potency here yes that's pretty obvious to me now and i feel like it's what i was looking for this whole entire time you know and i feel like so many things uh kind of lined up for me to come and understand some of this stuff you know and i know i feel like i still have a long way to go with all of it but um, I'm happy to scratch the surface for some people and maybe just introduce some of these concepts to people or whatever. So uh, I'm not bitter at the way things are. I'm not bitter at technology. I'm not bitter at the sun. I'm none of those things. To me, I, I think of all of this as basically a gift. You know, it's a gift and any lies that I've been told or any trauma that I've experienced from living here, you know, um, these are gifts in disguise, basically, you know. So now I have, because of this information that I've really gotten into, I feel like my appreciation for it is that much greater having lived in the complete opposite world for uh, decades. Yeah, that's beautiful. And yeah. that, I mean, that's a good thing to remember, too. And I think and I I mean, you've brought so much of this to my table to chew on and understand and integrate into my world. And it has me questioning everything so much more deeply than I have before. And I, I we've been questioning a lot of stuff for a really long time in yeah. terms of like alternative information or what what is really going on kind of stuff. And now, uh, most recently, I'll say definitely, like even within the last like few months, I have just been in this place of um, just reevaluating everything. This is making me reevaluate so many things. And it's uh, really similar to how I felt during 2020 mm. when all of that kind of stuff happened, where it was like, okay, if this is what's happening right now, like you really have to internalize this and, and, and apply this stuff to your life and question things further. And I kind of feel a similar feeling to that time and to right now yeah. um, while integrating this information more deeply and understanding it more and uh, mm -hmm. understanding uh, what's really important and why this is very important. So I'm grateful for that and grateful for all the stuff that you keep learning and Right. Bringing to the table. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, it's nice to have a partner in crime with all this stuff. Yes. Obviously. I agree. And I'll say an interesting sort of side note is that I first started looking into the geocentric side of things, um, questioning cosmology, cosmography, all that kind of stuff. Uh, first being introduced to even, I think, the North Star and, and why that even matters and why maybe it should be given... Um, not even so much more credit, but why it should just be understood more if, if you are interested already in kind of what's happening in, in the heavens, you know, mm -hmm. it's the center of the wheel of heaven. And so uh, I'm pretty sure 10 years ago is when I first started looking into all of this stuff. Yeah. Wow. So that my, makes sense. Yeah. So my journey with this information, I, I'll say that like one of the really sort of like concrete, potent like steps or... Uh, introductory sort of phases I went through happened 10 years ago with this. Wow. And so in my opinion, I hope this doesn't sound arrogant or anything, but I really feel like there's a lot of people who are interested in geocentrism or what some people might refer to as flat earth. I hate that term personally for so many different reasons. It comes with so much baggage. I don't think it's a complete picture either. I don't think it's holistic. Right. Just that term. Um, and so I tend to not use it. 
But I think that this awareness and other people are are catching on and other people are on board and some people are already running with it. So I'm not saying that I'm I'm the only person, you know, doing this or whatever. Um, but to me, this is the evolution of that material. It, yeah. You know, it yeah. is really it kind of integrating it with the metaphysical thing and, and with the centeredness thing and all this other kind of stuff. So that's kind of how I t- tend to perceive it, you know. Yeah, no, I I love that because too, uh, with the flat Earth thing too, I think there's cul-de-sacs within even the term itself. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Because you find that there's they just continuously they who's they I don't know, but a lot of the information that surrounds flat Earth just focuses on the same kind of stuff all the time. Yes, it's yeah. flat. Yeah, the that yep that horizon's flat. Yep, I get that. Mm-hmm. And whatever you know, that's great. That that was one of the things that woke me up to it. But I feel like the geocentric polar stuff takes it that step further just like kind of which has kind of been the theme of this whole conversation of it's like it's that next layer down it's that next layer deeper Mm -hmm. that i think is what the geocentric uh model and when you start thinking of it in that way brings that holistic element to it instead of being so compartmentalized that it has to be this proof that proof the other the proof that proof and then you have so many proofs going on that i think for a lot of people it may even Mm. become overwhelming yeah that okay okay i'm looking at this yes that makes sense oh my gosh okay but when you kind of bring it back to this polar centric sort of geocentric model it kind of just begins to make a little more sense and it it like almost uh not humanizes it but it makes it uh no it does it does it like it it just allows it to be a little more digestible and then you have all of this other history that you're learning to back it up and all these amazing researchers and even uh religions and cultures that have been looking at things like this for however long and then it's like well yeah that probably is what's going on you know what i mean and so so i'll say that this is this is one of the things for me that is uh i guess important but the idea that the people, if, if things were geocentric, people were more geocentric, what did their culture look like? What did they revere? How did they see things? Like, what did their temples look like? What did their rituals look like? You know, what were they encoding, you know, um, in their sort of spiritual framework? And to me, it's more polar. And so that's the thing is that you're, you're saying it humanizes things more. You're exactly right. So to me, that's what I feel like I've kind of gotten into is a little bit of the mindset of people who were more geocentric, mm. you know, with these ancient cosmologies and everything else. Right. And obviously I'm tracking the flip. That's a major thing for me is tracking this flip from polar to solar. You know, uh, there is a major shift as we've been talking about this major sort of uh, thing that happened. And so to me, that's a primary sort of interest, I suppose, um, the other thing I'll say, just because I mentioned it, but and I, I mentioned this on Saturday on Spiders, and I don't think I mentioned it on Friday, but um, here I go. But I think one of the big things about it is um, that to me is important, this idea of orientation. And so that the center orients, the center allows you to have a sort of um, idea of where you're at with things. And so that's what the north does. That's what the compass does, mm-hmm. right? The compass shows you where is north. That's its primary function is to show you where north is. And so I've said this a billion times, but you know, ancient seafarers and stuff like that, the north star was the preeminent star. They had to know where north was in order to understand where they were going if they didn't have uh, instrumentation or whatever. Um, and if you were looking at a different constellation in the heavens, you had to know that constellation's relationship with the north. So it wasn't just good enough to be like, okay, cool, there's Sirius. All right, well, where's Sirius in relationship to the North Star? 
That's what you had to know. You had to know, okay, cool, that's Taurus. Well, where's Taurus's relationship with the North Star? You have to know where you're at, where the sky clock is at in the heavens, you know, and that central point would be the pole star, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, this idea of orientation hinges on the world axis. It hinges on the North Star, in my opinion, being the center. Um, And so one of the things I broke down on Friday is that uh, the word orient uh, is a mystical term as well. And that on one level, the orient refers to the east, but some authors and mystics and uh, magicians and wizard type people, sages, blah, 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 that when they refer to the orient, they were actually referring to the north. They were actually referring to the cosmic north, beyond the north even. And that the mystical orient isn't east, it's north. And even uh, the same way with the sun that rises in the east. It's ah. not. It's not a. Uh, it's not the actual sun. It's a. It's a different thing. They're talking about sort of a cosmic sun, if you will, or right. a, or a black sun or a midnight sun, which would be the uh, stationary sun. It would be the uh, the immutable sun at the center. So the, a symbolic sun, but just basically a reference to the same center that we've been referring to. So uh, you can refer to the center as a sun if you want to, but it's not the literal sun. It's not the sun that you know goes around every single day, in my opinion, right? Right. But people have gotten that confused over time. Um, and so orientation has a lot to do with the north. That's my understanding. Uh, the I've referenced this book a few times already, but The Man of Light in Iranian Sufism by Henry Corbin. He talks about this beautifully, about orientation and how it relates to the north. Um, it's really, really awesome stuff. But one of the things that I've picked up though, is that one of the things that the world axis brings as well, um, is it brings a, um, dynamic of a definitive up. Okay. So that there is to geocentric people to, to, uh, polar primordial people, there was no debate it, from what I'm gathering with my research. There was no debate on what up is. Up meant up, and there is a universal up. This sounds really basic, but it is uh, more wool that has been pulled over our eyes, in my opinion. Because if you believe we live in a spherical Earth and that it's a ball that's literally floating in space and all this other nonsense, in mm-hmm. my opinion, right. right? Yeah. That means that there are people that they're up would be our down. Correct. Right? Right. So if they're in Australia, their up is down. Right. Complete opposite of where we're at. And if they're somewhere along the equator or whatever, their up is to the side or whatever from right. where we're at. This is complete nonsense. Because what this really does is uh, this uh, doesn't give you a... It, it, it lacks stability. It lacks you know, something that's actually um, definitive and it lacks a structure basically. And so the the uh, heliocentric globe model throws so many things out of whack. It's absolutely nuts. But this is another one of these things that I'm really appreciating right now is this idea of up and down because symbolism has a lot to do with up or down. So the mountain is a mountain because you can scale it because it goes upward. The ram is a ram because it can climb mountains and go upward. Right. You know, um, so uh, the world axis is a bridge between realms, you know, so heaven would be symbolically or the heavens would be upward. If you're talking about a spherical ball, it throws all of that out of whack. And so there's actually like a really potent sort of thread that you can pull out here about the dynamic of what is definitive up and what is definitive down and how that plays a role 
when it comes to like ascension mythology and you know all of this other type of stuff and so um with the globe earth you know it, it, all of that is completely thrown out the window yeah that's a great point and when you brought this up a few days ago you know we kind of i i thought about uh chaos magic you know the the symbol for chaos magic it reminds me of that mm -hmm. um, but then also what it came to mind just now is uh literally the model that they show for a virus or whatever mm. it's it's that it's the spikes all over the ball right and it's like that's nonsense right so it's kind of um you know there's might be some sort of theme there right <laughs> nonsense theme whatever you want to oh. say going on and i'm not saying chaos is nonsense so i'm not trying to lump that in because i think that chaos is necessary here in some sort of way um whatever but just that model that that vision of what you're talking about to me that's what i thought of is right the whole right you know, right right whatever well the thing is uh just saying with chaos in on one level it, i mean it's a polar symbol it's another polar symbol as all symbols tend to break down to but uh, what is it really showing you? It's taking you away from self. Yeah, yeah. It's outward everything. Even so it's looking, like, yeah, that symbol. Yeah, it's, yeah. So there, there is an axial sort of point there. There's that middle dot. And then all of the, the eight arrows, uh, you know, um, are kind of uh, radiant from there, mm -hmm. expressed from there. But on, on one level, it's like removing you from self. It's not it's not encouraging you to go within. It's encouraging you to go without, I would say. Yeah. It's one of the kind of inversions with it a little bit. Um, and then, yeah, the, the viral thing. Yeah, that's a whole can of worms. But that's very much related to uh, the solarized world idea. It in really my is. So it's like that kind of, um, you know, that kind of hoax or whatever. It's it's only possible in, in, in a world that we live in today. Right. You know, but that's a whole can of worms. Too. It is. But it just I just thought about it. So Yeah, no, totally. But yeah. there's a lot to say about it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 Right on. Nice. Yes. So how do you feel, babe? Did you... Uh... Do you feel like I feel pretty good. You got uh, most of your extra points out. I do because I feel like this was a really good one. Nice. And we're coming up on uh, oh, we got yeah, we an hour forty. So yeah, I think we're solid. Yeah, just want to check in and see how you're feeling. And yeah, we can wrap it up. All right. So do you have any closing thoughts that you want people to kind of ponder? If, um, you know, there's a lot to kind of uh, absorb with this one. Right. Yeah. I mean. I would just say that uh, the the thing for me that always is the thing <laughs> is that uh, I just want to encourage people to go within, you know, go within, tap into their center, know thyself, you'll know the universe. It truly is the bridge to, uh, you know, other planes of realities, uh, other planes of existence. Um, that's a whole entire um, metaphysical thing that relates to the center. And that uh, the center is everywhere. That's kind of the other thing too. That's kind of bizarre and and, and interesting to think about is that um, everything occupies a a center, and everything since it's emanated from a center, it uh, mirrors that center as well. And I don't like the quantum. I don't like quantum physics or quantum science. You know, I think there's a lot of hoaxy stuff with all of that. So that's not my thing. But there is definitely an etheric spiritual connection between all centers. I'll say. Mm, yeah. Know? And so, um, anyways, that's that's pretty much it, though. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And I encourage uh, people who maybe missed it to check out Mario's presentation from Friday. Yep. On his YouTube channel, the esoteric esoteric solar symbolism. Uh, close enough. Yeah. I mean, basically, uh, the rising, <laughs> the rising sun. sun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I encourage you guys to check out that because if you uh, missed it, it'll kind of maybe fill in some gaps that we talked about tonight. But yeah, I mean, this was wonderful. So awesome. Yeah. Thank sweet. you so much for coming on. 
Yeah, you got it. It's really awesome. So now we got some credits to roll through. Yep, we got credits as usual. So for those who want to maybe... And we are coming in hot, hot, hot. Yeah, the lighting around here, you know. But I leaned in, that's why. So we will add these credits to the screen. All right. So michelleshealinghome.com for all things Healing Home. As I said in the beginning of the show, you can find my store, my blog, my offerings, more information about me and the podcast all there at michelleshealinghome.com. And as always, thank you to all the patrons out there. You guys, your support is very, very, very much appreciated from all of you. So thank you to Chance, Sarah G, Liam, Miri, and Hank, Jenny G., uh, Erica, Moonlander, Mary, Louie, Logan, Mickey, Doreen, Debbie, Natasha, Mary Beth, Nausicaa, Stephanie, Charlie, Peter, Elise and James, Rachel, Trisha, and Vanessa. Thank you all so very much. Patreon.com slash The Healing Home for anyone who would want to come and join us over there. And a handbook for herbal and natural cat care for all you who follow me probably have already heard me talk about this, but I'm very, very excited to be offering up this ebook to all of you. It's a great introductory guide for people who want to start incorporating herbs and natural remedies into their cat's lives. And I have a very deep um, well of cat love that has been poured into this ebook, and I'm I'm now going to be adding to it, so there'll soon be a rever- a revised version that will come out with even more tips, some more personal stories, and um, all that good stuff. So you can find that on my website as well. Full Moon Offering Newsletter letter number 42 is now out. It just came out on Saturday, and I have soap, shampoo, and tinctures for everybody for this go-around. And, you know, I'm really excited about this offering because one of the thing, two of the things that I added to my store inventory are uh, soap storage, soap storage and usage tools. With like this soap bag here, which is wonderful because you can use it for travel. You can put a bar of soap into it, and it dries the soap out in Boom. between uses, uh, which is crucial. So um, anyone who knows anything about bar soap, specifically handmade bar soap. It will melt very easily if it's not dried in between uses. So I now have these wonderful tools, a nice pine soap dish and this uh, cotton fabric soap bag, which is also can be used for exfoliation and all those sorts of things. You can hang it in the shower. You can keep it in your drawer. It's really wonderful. So uh, this offering I'm very pumped about. I also have the blue vervain tincture that is made with blue vervain that I grew in our garden and reishi double extract tincture, which is made with reishi mushrooms that we harvested on the Oregon coast. Uh, Very powerful, very potent. All of that medicine is available online on my website. And for anyone watching, you can see the menu currently what I have. I also have elderberry and reishi syrup that I just made, fresh batch. That one's going fast too. So you can just check all that out if you're interested. The next full moon offering newsletter is going to be coming out on March 25th. So you can look for that. And if you haven't already, feel free and sign up for the newsletter also on my website. Yes, I really uh, just want to say that people should really do that because uh, that's when you get the first notice of when you drop new products and everything else and um, just the way things have been going that those people are going to get first dibs on stuff and that you've even like launched a newsletter and then you've like sold out of stuff yeah you know within like the next day or whatever so if you're just following kind of the podcast and you're just doing 
that that's obviously awesome but uh, if you're really interested in the products uh, getting the newsletter is like the uh, quickest way you'll be updated with your new offerings and stuff and because you do small batch stuff it's not that difficult for you to sell out of stuff yeah you know because it's just literally you creating everything you know and it's all just like you know it's more boutique-y that way so i don't know i just feel like the newsletter really if you want to uh keep tabs on what's going on you should do that yeah thank you babe it's true and uh i only send out one newsletter a month so you're not going to be getting a a bunch of stuff in your inbox and i will encourage people to check their spam folders if you are signed up and you haven't been getting it because i have seen people um like multiple people signing up like multiple times so i'm always wondering huh i wonder if they're not if they're not getting it so it might be going to your spam so just know that i have noticed that a couple times that um you know uh, duplicate names come through um and so just check that but it is the best way to know what's happening and what i have going on and what's coming on what's coming down the pipeline all right so uh next week we will be joined by topher gardner of the BioCharisma podcast. Very excited for this one. And I really enjoyed talking with Topher on his show a couple weeks ago. And right away, I was just like, I want to talk to him more. And so I invited him onto the Healing Home. Uh, this one is actually going to be a pre-recorded episode. So it will premiere on the 5th of March at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Yeah, and Topher is seriously, uh, he is really sharp. And uh, I just appreciate his wisdom and what he brings to the table and what he knows and all of that kind of stuff. So uh, people who aren't familiar with him, um, he, he comes highly recommended, I would say. Yeah, totally. And I'm, I'm really excited to just ask him more questions because even when I was on his show, I felt like I have so many questions for him. And yeah. so that's why I knew I w- really wanted to bring him in because I have a lot of things that I want to pick his brain about. And in particularly his, uh, his dome homes, his, his journey of, of getting there and, and totally. stuff like that. So come on and join us on the 5th of March to find out where our conversation goes. And Mr. Mario with the rising sun. Yes. So that is my uh, thumbnail for the presentation I gave on Friday. Give it a go. Check it out. I think I did a pretty good job. Uh, I've gotten some really good feedback from it and everything else. So I think it's one of my better ones. I would say I kind of like the fact too, that it's um, in a way it's astrological, um, but in a way it's kind of not. So I, I kind of like that too, that it's not necessarily related to a sign, but it's talking about the whole system. You know, that's kind of just really quick. One of the things that I wanted to perhaps bring up is that me studying astrology and putting content out about astrology, I found that there were certain symbols that didn't really seem appropriate to like talk about because I was following the signs, you know, and I feel like with astrology, you're kind of taught that the uh, 12 sign system is like this complete end all be all system and nothing um, outside of it kind of exists or something like that. That mm-hmm. might be kind of like uh, taking it too far, but that's kind of the sense that I even get from a lot of astrologers is like, Oh no, this is, this is the wisdom of the ages. Everything that's encoded in here is everything you need to know about symbolism and this and that. And so at a certain point, I kind of realized that, you know what, there's actually like other animals that I want to talk about. There's other symbols that I want to talk about that aren't necessarily uh, astrological or if they are, it's very, very veiled, you know? So that's kind of one of the things that I've kind of come to the conclusion of too uh, over, over the last couple of years is just that uh, there's more uh, to learn symbolically than just astrology. 
Yes. You know. Yeah. And I mean, I'm I'm glad that you're saying this and you've gotten to this point and I knew you would because yeah. you you have so much knowledge when it comes to just symbolism in general. Mm-hmm. But yeah, with this presentation, I felt I I I told you this, but I feel like it was one of, if not your best presentations that you've done online in this sphere. Um, But also me seeing, I feel like you're really coming into your own with this information Mm. in that sense of, of now like branching out a little bit more and like starting to really explore some more of the topics that you have a lot of knowledge on. So I think it's really good. So this, it was, it was a good one for sure. Right on. Thank you. Yes. Right. And then, um, I'm happy to announce, I mentioned it on Friday, but I'm doing a Patreon-exclusive series starting in March uh, called Symbolic Secrets. Woo! And what I'm going to be doing here is I'm starting off with the Major Arcana, and I'm going to be going through literally every single card of the Major Arcana, one by one, one session at a time. So one session on the Fool, one session on the Magician, etc. So this uh, series will go for at least... 22 weeks and then we'll see what i do from there you know does it make sense just to cover the whole deck you know um what will i do from there i don't know but i want to continue this symbolic secrets series for patreon you know so the idea is that uh i will go live for patrons and i feel like my patrons definitely deserve it and um that's where it's going to be hosted and i'm probably going to release a few episodes you know on my youtube so people know kind of what the deal is with all of that but I'm excited to do this because very recently I did a whole um, 22 week series with a student and we went through the major arcana together. And so he was very interested in the tarot. He wanted to learn what I knew and all of that about uh, these cards. And so I gave him a very kind of unfiltered sort of like uh, approach to the tarot of like what I really think about some of these cards. And I'll say, A lot of the stuff I mentioned about these cards, I've never talked about anywhere, you know? And so there's a lot, I have a lot of information about every single card that uh, I have not discussed publicly. And so he got like a deep dive that I haven't given anybody really, you know? So this is kind of my opportunity to kind of uh, do that for my patrons essentially. And he got a lot out of it. And so now we just committed to uh, doing the whole entire tarot. You know, we're going to fast track it a little bit. We're not spending one session per card, but he liked this uh, 22 week series so much that we ended up uh, just committing to doing the whole entire deck. Yeah. And so um, so that's what you're going to get. You're going to get that. And uh, it's going to be interesting. And I'm going to filter it through, obviously, my uh, my polar perspective with things, you know, because I'm seeing that a lot of the tarot has a polar correspondence to it, you know, so that's something that I haven't really talked about either yet but uh if you sign up for my patreon you'll get all of those insights yes and i gotta say unfiltered mario is pretty damn fun you like it <laughs> yeah so i i, I think people well, are you, you, uh, within reason you yeah know I mean. you know what i mean but when it comes to this stuff uh you know because i get the unfiltered versions and it's it's pretty rad and so it's it's a really cool offering that you're doing for patrons i think it's awesome yeah thank you yeah and then for everything else symbolicstudies.com. yes Alrighty, folks. Well, I think that's going to do it for this evening. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. I hope you guys got something out of it. Thanks for thanks to everybody in the chat for hanging out. We appreciate you, as always. And until next time, take care out there, and we'll see you next week. Have a good one. Later. <laughs>